Welcome again and Merry Christmas. I hope it has been a Merry Christmas for all of you. And at the same time, sometimes Christmas is not the merriest, happiest of seasons. As I look across this crowded room, it's inevitable that many of you have lost someone you love or that something has gone on this past year since last Christmas that perhaps this Christmas season, though it should be merry and bright and all of the pageantry and the lights and the ideas and the images, perhaps something has gone not according to your expectations and your desires and you grieve. And I just want you to know that that is okay. Amazingly, God does not apologize for whatever hardship you are experiencing. What he does do is provide this. Look around. Seriously, look around. This is God's plan for your life, to be gathered together with other people who are indwelled by God's Spirit because of the finished work of the Son since the love of the Father persists. And yet we know that there is also pain. It's not all hugs and Christmas sweaters and like Josh said, pumpkin spice lattes. And so as a gathered extended family, I would like to pray for us yet again. And then we're going to spend just a little bit of time in God's word celebrating the coming of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, you are the God of all comfort. It's who you are. It's what you do. And so would you do that? Would you punch through and pierce through whatever darkness persists, whatever heaviness pervades? Would you make yourself known as you have in abundance? Would you continue to do so for anyone gathered in this place that has fear, uncertainty, or doubt? Would you remind them that you are absolutely crazy about them? And would you compel us to hear from you through your word as we gather together as your people. And we pray all these things in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. It has been said that the Bible is the story of God's glory as demonstrated through his grace. Now, I like that because I'm the one that said it, and I agree. The story of God's grace is cover to cover, from the table of contents to the maps, It's all about God's grace, his unmerited favor as an unobligated giver. That's why we do what we do at Christmas is we give one another things that we absolutely do not deserve, cannot earn, do not merit. If the story of the Bible is the story of God's grace, then Christmas, Advent, the incarnation is the exclamation point. Now, for those of you who have been a part of Bethel, who have been with us this whole Advent season since we've got through Thanksgiving, we've been walking through a sermon series called Surprising Grace because God's grace interrupts, it it intersects, it surprises us that such a God exists, that he is our God, and that he moves his life toward us for our good and for his glory. We've been talking about how the Christmas story is not just that story when sweet, cute, little 7.2-pound pink baby Jesus comes to a stable. No, no, no. It is the great grand culmination of heavy hearts and expectant souls all throughout the Old Testament. For half of human history, Genesis 1 through 11, there is darkness, there is depravity, there is debauchery, there is death. 
and it leaves the species wanting more. Won't God do something? Why is everything so broken? Why is everything so hard? And so God comes to a man named Abram, and he says, I'm going to do a new thing out of a no thing. I'm gonna create for myself a new people who will represent and reflect righteousness as my realm here in the world. And he promises, I will be a blessing through all the world, through you, Abraham, and your seed. And there will be land, literal, physical, geological space. There will be progeny. There will be offspring. There will be more and more and more people who will be a part of this. And there will be blessing. I, myself, Yahweh says, I will infuse you and all those who are associated with you. I will infuse and impart and impute joy. I will do this because this is the kind of God that I am. And then we begin the story of the Old Testament. We've been walking through this as has been sort of frameworked for us by the Gospel of Matthew. The genealogy of Jesus, or the resume of Jesus, you might say. So I'm gonna read this for one final time for our Advent series this morning. It is Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. My God, my God, I love reading that sentence. It is the first sentence of the New Testament and not by accident. It is not a coincidence. God said, I will fix, I will replenish, I will redeem all that is broken. And so for thousands of years, people are waiting and wanting. There's supposed to be this king from David's line that will execute and accomplish all the promises made to Abraham. And Matthew opens up the New Testament by saying, it's him. His name is Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. He is from David, the one who will accomplish the promises made to Abraham. And then we're told Abram was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Genesis 38, the children of Israel have not even departed the land to go to Egypt yet and we learn of one of the ancestors of Jesus. She is a Canaanite. We continue. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab is also a Canaanite, a Gentile. She is in the city of Jericho. She is also an ancestor of Jesus. As the children of Israel, after 400 years in Egypt, they come up out of the land. We are prepared for conquest, where Yahweh will reconquer and captive his property for the sake of his people. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, a Moabitess. And we are prepared for the story of God as redeemer. This one is yet another Gentile, one of the ancestors of Jesus. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah Bathsheba, the daughter of the oath. Yet another Can- uh, a Gentile, a Hittite named Bathsheba, doesn't even get named. These are the great grandmothers of Jesus. It is Matthew saying, don't you see what God has done? He has brought forth a savior from our mess into our mess. And so at long last, we come to the fifth of our women that we are studying in the genealogy, the resume of Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Mary. 
Testament. And what we see through all of these stories is that sin is no match for God's grace. And that's very good news. And the moral of all of these stories is that morals and morality don't save a single human soul. It is God's surprising grace. And the great surprise is that no amount of immorality disqualifies us from receiving the gospel, God's great news, his awesome announcement, his good, good story of what he has done in Christ. So this morning, we're going to look very briefly at the gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We'll start reading here in just a moment in verse 26. I want to orient you, give just a little bit of context of what's going on. All four of our gospel writers are trying to convey that Jesus is, in fact, the promised one of God who comes to redeem the world. This Jesus, he is the one who is a Messiah. He is conqueror. He is redeemer. He is king. And this morning we see him as the son. In Luke chapter 1, we're introduced to a man named Zechariah. He is a priest and he is accomplishing his duties in the temple. He's actually doing priestly work when an angel from the presence of God in heaven comes to Zechariah and says, Surprise, old fella, you're going to be a daddy. And Zechariah says, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. I'm pretty old. And have you seen Mrs. Zechariah, Elizabeth? She's no younger. And the angel says, that'll be quite enough of that. And he's mute for nine months. Some of you are saying, oh, I would love that kind of Christmas. (laughs) Perhaps not. Meanwhile, Luke, a Gentile, who's apparently getting some of this information directly from Mary herself. Now, the text never tells us this directly, but we have it on very good, qualified church tradition that after Jesus's ascension, that the apostle John, the disciple John, probably takes Mary and goes all the way to Ephesus with her. We believe that probably in Ephesus, keep that in mind, Luke probably interviews Mary and gets a lot of this information directly from her. So we're going to pick up reading now. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, this is the sixth month of cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God (laughs) to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This is one of the greatest surprises of your Bible. Nazareth is the backest of backwaters. It is somewhere in the suburbs of Arp. If there could be such a thing in ancient Israel, that's Nazareth, right between the banjos and the washboards, the kazoos, and it is as backwater as you get. And the angel Gabriel, the messenger angel of the throne room of heaven is dispatched, not to Buckingham Palace, not to the throne room of Rome and the Roman Empire, no, to the backwaters. I love this so much that God, most high, knows the intimate details of an insignificant peasant girl in the backwaters of northwestern Israel. It's amazing. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, an angel, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. So she's probably about 15 years old to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Only the most common name for a girl in all of Israel, Mariam, named for the sister of Moses. It's kind of like Smith would be today. Everybody named their daughter 
Mariam, Mary. She's nobody from nowhere. And the angel Gabriel does not go to the city square or the market to find the mayor, his dignified, dignitary daughter. No, no. He goes specifically to this one because, because God says so. There was nothing about Mary. The text is very careful to tell us that she earned or deserved this. God simply selected her because he loved her. She is betrothed. It's essentially the same thing as marriage. Everybody in town knows that this 15-year-old girl, she is off the market. The contracts have been established. Joseph is busy building a house or a room next to his father's house so that he can go and get his bride. It's all settled and done. And the angel, verse 28, came to her and said, <laughs> greetings, O favored one. This is the kind of greeting that is reserved when King Herod would have met Pontius Pilate, or when one head of state met another head of state. It is not what an angel dispatched from the throne room of heaven would say to a nameless, meaningless peasant girl in the sticks of northwestern Israel. Greetings, most favored one, he says. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. She wondered. She was greatly troubled at the saying. Why would anyone address me? That Why would you address me that way? She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern. She tried to logically figure out what is happening. Why is this taking place? What sort of greeting this might be? Why would God say this to her? And maybe, maybe this season is the time when each of us should ask the same question. And we should be reminded through what takes place with Mary. It is simply because that's the kind of God we have. His grace is so surprising. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, because <laughs> it's every day that an angel just shows up in your bedroom. There you are, a 15-year-old girl in the sticks and an angel shows up, do not be afraid, which tells us that she was terrified. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Yeshua. Every Hebrew girl hoped, dreamed, thought that maybe because of Daniel chapter seven, she might be the bearer of Messiah, the one who would take away the sin of the world, the one whom God would send to be a blessing. Every young girl dreamed, but surely not her. You will bear a son and you will name him Yeshua. Now, most of the time, parents get to name their kids, but you don't get to name your child if your child is actually infinitely and eternally old because he pre-exists. He's existed for infinite eons of eternity. And his name is who he is. His name is God saves. God is providing salvation in the form of a person. And then the angel's going to tell her five things that her son will be. Five things, beginning in verse 32. He will be great. He'll redefine greatness, as it turns out. He will have no fancy clothes. He'll have no lofty position in a company. There will be no buildings named after him by his 30s. In fact, by the time he's 30, he will be destitute, penniless, stripped naked, beaten, hanged on a cross to die. He will demonstrate what it is to serve and love others for their sake. He will be great. He's inverting and flipping the entire created fallen order, Mary. Do you see? He will be great. 
And he will be called the son of the most high. In antiquity, the son of something meant you are that thing. You are of the very same essence. You are the son of the most high, meaning he will be the most high. Mary, you are about to birth the presence and the person of God himself. This is what Gabriel is saying to her. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. The one that was a thousand years ago promised to David. When God comes to David in 2 Samuel 7, you will have someone from your line that rules forever. Mary, you're going to birth not just deity in human form. You will also birth the king from David's line who will rule literally, legally, and logistically. The government, Mary, will be on his shoulders. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He is the promised person who will lead, love, guide, and guard Israel. Mary, your people. Mary was a good little Hebrew girl. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He is the eternal one. He will rule in righteousness forever. All of this stuff of Roman occupation and of suffering and fear, uncertainty and doubt, all of that will be taken away by this one, Mary, that you will birth. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Can you just imagine? She's 15. Now her sense of wonder it's not the same sense of wonder that Zechariah had. Zechariah was in the temple, in the very presence of Yahweh, doing priestly work. He should have known when the angel approaches him and says, this will be thus. She has no concept. She can't begin to fathom how God would do such a miraculous work in and through her. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, will overshadow you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Mary, I can't explain it to you. I'll just tell you what's going to take place. God's going to do a thing and the presence of God will be birthed in you. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was call, called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. That word does not exist in the throne room of God. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Mary says, I don't understand this but I believe you. I can't explain it. I can't perhaps discern all the many facets of wonder, but I believe you and my life changes as a result of what I believe. May it be exactly as you have said. As has been attributed to C.S. Lewis, Mary shows us that the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. Well, we fast forward just a moment in the text Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. We don't know if her father to save face, to save his family's face. We don't know why. Maybe he sent her away. Maybe she just says, hey, I was visited by an angel. I know that's weird, right? But trust me on this one, dad, I've got to go. Our cousin is pregnant. You mean Elizabeth? Yeah, that's right. And I have to go. And so she goes from Nazareth to Judah, not an easy journey. It's a very long way. 
the hill country to a town in Judah, just outside of Jerusalem where the priestly class would have lived. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit or led or controlled or guided or prompted by the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth gets it. Zechariah is still over in the corner going, Elizabeth, as is the case in many of our homes, takes over and is the voice of reason. And she says, blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why do I get this? Because God's grace is so surprising. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She would give birth herself to John the baptizer. And blessed is she who believed. I love that expression. This Christmas, perhaps that's what I can offer and impart. Blessed are those who believe. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is he who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Take that verse. Treasure that verse. Blessed is the one who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to them from the Lord. Blessed. Receive that infusion, that imputation, that deposit of joy. And verse 46, and Mary said. This 15-year-old girl who's over 100 miles from home, who's been told by an angel of God that she will conceive, that God will do something mysterious and marvelous and majestic in and with and through her. She's with the relative in a little suburb of Jerusalem. Of all the songs that have ever been sung, I wonder what would that have sounded like? I wonder what it would have sounded like to Luke to set perhaps in Ephesus as Mary pushes back and she says, oh, it was the most wonderful thing. It was so wondrous. Luke, it went like this. This is, this is just what came out of me. Now, I don't want to try to exegete or exposit or, or slice this hymn too finely. But of all the songs that have ever been sung, I think this is the one I would love to hear the most. Listen to this 15-year-old girl wonder. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My entire being, my life essence is to highlight, to amplify, and to emphasize Yahweh. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I love verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The insight 
the precision that Mary understands. The word for hungry is not just those who need a meal or who would like a snack. It is those who are longing, who have some deep soul-level yearning. And Mary understands through what God is going to do in and through me, every human being has access to be filled. Fulfillment, you see, is what provides joy. Joy is the outcome of fulfillment, of filling. And Mary understands this is who God is. This is what God wants to do, to provide blessing by fulfilling everybody. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. I love the fact that Mary sings this song, understanding at some level somehow that as her forefather Solomon had said a thousand years earlier, God has placed eternity in our hearts and we are restless until he fills that void. Mary seems to understand this is what God is doing in and through me, through Christ. So his grace is so surprising. And what we see is that sin is no match for God's grace. Now, you might remember that Gabriel greets Mary and he calls her, O favored one. That expression occurs only one other time in your entire Bible, just one. Part of me hears that and says, okay, Gabriel called Mary most favorable. Yeah, but I'm, I'm in the 21st century. I'm in East Texas. I've got things to do. I've got responsibilities. I've got all kinds of stuff that I love to procrastinate. How does that apply to me at Christmas? What does that mean to me? How does that possibly change my life? Well, I mentioned that it's been used, that expression, only one other time. And it's in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul writes to the people of Ephesus, I think, where Mary gives her testimony, her eyewitness account to Luke. And in Ephesians 1, 6, Paul tells the readers, and by extension us, that what God has done with Mary is essentially the same thing with every believer. It's the story of conversion. That the Spirit of God somehow overshadows, comes upon a person, and they believe And in a sense, Christ indwells that person. No, not, of course, in a literal birth sense like with Mary, but there is an indwelling. We, these people, these rough-hewn shells of existences, you might think of us as mangers, these rough-hewn vessels into which the very Son of God is laying. The manger, you see, is me. In a sense, each of us are the lowly manger into which the Son of God is given. It's Christmas, and January's coming. You may have a hundred problems, but may a lack of fulfillment and a lack of joy not be numbered among them. God has done the thing. God has done what he said he would do in Christ to redeem us to himself and to one another. And so I invite you, I encourage you, I exhort you throughout this holiday season to practice his presence, realizing that into you, the son of God has in a sense been born. This is why Paul will say in the book of Colossians, the mystery that was hidden for generations and generations, centuries and centuries, is that Christ is in you. And that is the hope of glory. You have been fulfilled, and so may you wonder. 
Can you just imagine the wonder of Gabriel as he's departed the throne room of heaven and he tells this little peasant girl in the sticks, the third member of the Trinity is going to overshadow you and he's going to, in a sense, provide and produce the second member of the Trinity in human form, in and through you because of the love of the first member of the Trinity. And friends and family, that is precisely what Christmas means for us as well. So may we be fulfilled. Sin, though it is much, though they are many, it is no match for God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for who you are, for what you've done in Christ, our Savior, Yeshua, the person who is salvation. I pray, Father, that this Christmas season, if there is anyone who is not a believer, is not convinced, is not persuaded that you are who you say you are and you sent your son as you said you would, that they would believe, that they would be convinced and persuaded and they would step out of death into life and out of darkness into light this Christmas season. And for the rest of us, Father, that you would remind us that your desire is that we be fulfilled with joy and we would exude that and be the kinds of people that do, in fact, go and tell it on a mountain. Father, thank you for Christmas. We pray that you would be with everyone gathered in this room together, that their family times would be sweet, and that you would bring us back together this evening at 6 p.m. for our evening service, that you would be glorified, magnified, and worshiped. We pray all these things in the power of your Spirit, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.